0: Joshua chapter 24 verse 15, 14 and 15 reading in the Old Testament to give you a backdrop an understanding of what is happening here we have transition from Moses being the leader of Israel and he's the one that with the plagues of God delivered the children of Israel out of slavery out of Egypt they crossed the Red Sea they're out in the wilderness They're supposed to go into the promised land. They end up not going because they rebel against God. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every adult that rebelled basically passes and moves on. And then Joshua ends up being the next leader, and he leads them across the Jordan River, and they go out into the promised land, and they begin to obtain the promises of God. But now, just like it happens to everybody, Uh, If you are blessed and fortunate to live old, uh, Joshua gets to that ripe old tender age and he basically realizes he doesn't have much longer but a few breaths in his departing breath. He wants to give a sermon. Isn't it like a preacher? This don't ever stop preaching. They just keep on talking. And so he keeps on talking basically before he dies says, I want to preach one last sermon and then you guys are to yourselves. And so he gives them this charge. He gives them this warning. He gives them some insight and some preparation. And here's two verses out of his last sermon that I want to share with you here today. And Joshua speaks. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord or, or reverence him, respect him, be in awe of who he is. Then he says, serve him in sincerity and truth. Don't just. Think about how awesome God is. This awesome God deserves our best. Let us serve Him in sincerity. Let us serve Him in truth. And then He makes this statement. You would think, you know, parting words. You gotta be very careful with parting words. These are the last words you're gonna be known by. And he's saying, you know, bless God, love the Lord, let's serve God, let's do this together. And oh, by the way, put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, you got a choice. Everybody has a choice to make. And I want you to choose this day who you are going to serve whether you will serve the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Though there were more options to do the contrary, he said, I still got a choice. And this is the real only choice that I'm going to make is I'm going to serve God. I can I can do what others did before we got into this land or I can do what others are doing in this land. But really, those aren't an option for me. I am going to choose not just me, but my home that I lead. We will serve the Lord. I want to talk to you for the next few moments about the other side of the flood. The other side of the flood. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for gathering us here together in your name. And Lord, I do not believe this is a moment for us to just pass on through, get it over with just so we can talk and go get something to eat and, and activities in the evening. I believe, Lord, this is an opportunity that we can make the most out of Lord, from your word, from your spirit, and I pray that your kingdom would come, Jesus. I pray that your will would be done, Lord. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to feel, Lord, a time slot. I want to fill your presence. Lord, I want to be captured, Lord, in your audience. I want Want to be ministered to. And I want to minister to you, God. Giving you my life in the sacrifice of praise. And somebody saying, in Jesus' name, amen. The other side of the flood. As I gave us a little context of what's going on. It would appear that there's a lot of progress being made. A lot of great things to celebrate. Because they, remember, we're in slavery for over 400 years. Now you have a complete nation of over 3 million plus. Some say even 6 million. Whatever your guess is, it's as good as mine. But it is very likely to be in the millions that God took a group of 70 that were basically going to perish in famine. Cause them to thrive in the land of affliction after 400 years of slavery. They're still bound by the enemy, but God miraculously sets free three to six million slaves. And now they have liberty and freedom. Progress is being made. But then there's this little setback where they rebel against God. They kind of just do what they want to do. They give into their flesh and their desires. And so they wander in circles in the wilderness what literally was only uh, uh, somewhere around a seven-day journey. I can't remember what the Bible says off the top of my head. But it was something like a, a three, seven, or ten-day journey, 14, something like that. It wasn't much more than that. That they could have went from point A to point B. But that four-day, that seven-day, four that 14-day seven journey turned into 40 years just walking in circles until the last rebellious carcass died. And what they were afraid of, they were afraid their kids were going to die. And that's just kind of like us. We like to, you know, shuck the blame on someone else. Well, we're afraid that our kids aren't going to make it. That's why we're, we're not going to do this. That's why we're not going to live this. I don't know if my kids can live this. But the, God says, you know, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll let you perish, but I'll let your kids go into the promise. And that's the power of anybody, no matter what the age group is. If you would simply obey God, you will thrive and capture the promise that he has for you. And so now the next generation has grown up after this setback of 40 years. And can you imagine that? The Bible says, not till the last rebellious adult died. Can you imagine being like the last one alive in the nursing home? And like all of the kids that grew up were waiting to go in the promised land. And they're like, I love you, grandpa oh he still breathing. my brother's got a story it's it, um this is this is a true story my brother pastors in illinois and he went to somebody that's on their deathbed and uh they're they're laying there on their deathbed and they're you know barely breathing very fatigued and 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 so they they the the lady gathers everyone close cuz she feels it's coming on and so everyone comes close and she's She's given her, like, last blessing, like one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, giving a blessing. And then, and everybody begins to get weepy as she just passed. And she goes, ah, it didn't happen. And she was still alive. She wanted to go out with, you know, fireworks. But I I, I don't know how it all ended. But it wasn't as she hoped it would have ended, like a biblical uh, theme moment. But. Anyways, I don't know what that oh what that has to do with what we're preaching about. Basically, can you imagine being like the last rebellious adult alive? You're you're frail and and you know you're the only one holding the rest of them back from going into the promised land and they love you but they want to move on. Well finally grandma dies and they're able now to go into the promised land and it was just like boom, out of nowhere like there's standstill, there's just amazing progress that happens and it's victory after victory. And there's, there's a few little setbacks here and there, but really it's just an amazing momentum of obtaining the promises of God. And so now we're at Joshua. He is in the closing moments of his life and, and, and it just appear, this is just like, The perfect book in the Bible. Most of every other book, there's so many problems. But you only read like one or two problems in the book of Joshua. It's just victory after victory after victory. It's a great book. I love reading through the book of Joshua. But at the end of this new chapter they're going into, this new land that they're going into, this new day, this new dawn, this new home, this new promise, they had a bright future. But in their present, God confronted their past. Now, why did God have to go and do a thing like that? Like we're doing so good, God. Why you got to bring something up that's in the past? But see, ultimately, the past will show up in your future until you deal with it presently. If you don't deal with the past presently, it will show up. In the future, one example, and I I would love to go through the details of this story, but I cannot. And I would encourage you if you got time to read through the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It's an amazing story starting around chapter 37. And uh, what ends up happening? Joseph's the favorite kid out of 12 kids. I don't know if you've been raising a family that big, but that'd be a little rough. It's hard to make it in a family of four and get the attention. I was always, you know, starving for the attention out of the four kids. And and basically, I did bad things to get attention. But Joseph, he he didn't have to be bad to get attention. His father loved him. He was the youngest one. And his father gave him a special coat of many colors. And none of the other kids got new clothes. They got hand-me-downs. They got old raggedy stuff. But Joseph got, like, just the sweetest, most epic clothing line ever. It was tailor-made just for him. And all the brothers envied him. And Joseph, not only did he have the best clothes, he had the best dreams from God. God would tell him, you're going to be the elite. You're going to be the leader. You're going to be epic. You're going to be awesome. You're going to be incredible. And so what is is a young brat going to do but tell all his older brothers, I'm going to be awesome and you're going to be serving me. And they didn't like that. And so they end up They end up planning to kill Joseph when they see him coming. And as they're about to kill him, they, they change their mind. They throw him down an empty well. And he's at the base of the well screaming out to his brothers. And he's asking for deliverance and freedom. And so they begin to plan what can they do with this spoiled brat that has the favor of their father and the favor of God. And they sell him into slavery and can't go through all the details there, but they move on, they bring they, they bring that coat that he had and they rip it up and they kill an animal, put the blood of the animal on that coat and bring it to the father. And, and the father, Jacob, sees it and he, he jumps to conclusions and he says, surely my boy is dead. And he begins to weep and mourn and refuses any comfort that they would try to give him. And so this past stays with these brothers. They move on they have families, they get older, and hopefully the past that is never found out and they don't ever have to share with their father or get caught by their father what they did. But this story that, again, I, I, want, I want to go in detail, I, I wish I could, but I can't because we've got to get somewhere, is the fact that Joseph ends up becoming the number two in command of all of Egypt. It's a m- miracle story. And... And and all of the surrounding nations come to Egypt to get food because God gave Joseph the plan of salvation. He gave him the plan of survival in the famine while everybody was dying. So everybody came to Egypt to survive and they would come to Joseph and Joseph would tell them what to do. And so now his brothers, they come before Joseph. They think Joseph's dead. They think he's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. And they stand before their very own brother and they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. And so he begins to test his brother's. And as he tests them, and basically he says, you know, I'm going to keep one of you guys locked up here. He accuses them of spying the land, which he knows they, they aren't there to spy, but he's testing them. He says, you guys are spies. You're, you're here to try to, you know, do something negative to our country. And they say, no, 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 we're not. And he says, all of you in prison. And, and he ends up changing his mind and says, I'll keep one of you in prison. Let the rest of you go back until you bring the youngest boy Back here then i 'll believe you 're not spies, and while Joseph is giving this sentence to them, the Bible says that the brothers start talking genesis forty two and twenty one and here 's what they say to each other in front of joseph now they don 't know that Joseph speaks the Hebrew language; they just think he 's some sort of egyptian they don 't know what that 's their own flesh and blood that knows their language. And so Joseph, because he was speaking to them through an interpreter, but he hears the brothers arguing and they say one to another, we are guilty concerning our brother talking about Joseph in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. That's why all of this is happening to us right now. Basically, the judgment they're getting from Joseph, who they don't know is Joseph. They're saying, basically, we're we're reaping what we have sown. And they begin to share insight to their, their brother unknowingly as he sits there. And they basically revisit the past. That they not only threw him in the well, but they listened to him crying out of the well. We heard him screaming for life. We heard him crying out to us, Have mercy on me. I'm sorry, guys. Come on, guys. Don't do this to me. Don't kill me. Don't sell me into slavery. But they refused to listen to him and they sold their very own brother into slavery for some money and took off. They were going to kill him, but they realized if we murder him, then we don't get any money. But if we sell him, at least we'll make a profit off of him. That's how twisted and wicked and corrupt these brothers were. And we have no indications that they ever revisited this situation until now. And now the past resurfaces. Now they revisit this sin in this occasion. They never change until they addressed the issue. And I believe that this moment was a turning point for the brothers. These brothers, these 10 of them that sold their own brother into slavery. But see, they had to take responsibility. And that's not an easy thing to do. Because when you know something you did was wrong, you know something was contrary to God's will and God's plan. And you feel the guilt instead of dealing with it. You try to move on. You try to preoccupy your time. You try to find justification, whatever it is, and hoping after decades that it would not be relived in your mind. But here they are some 17 years later. And it's revisited, it's reopened, and they begin to grieve so much so that Joseph can't even listen anymore. And he leaves their sight and goes crying and weeping in another room. It's still that real because it's important for us to understand this and to recognize this until we address past issues that we will never, ever be able to get. To the other side of the flood. See, when the Bible talks about the other side of the flood for the children of Israel, they they've done cross the Jordan and they're going into a new chapter, a new life, a new dimension. But God says, but the other side of the flood. Let's talk about that for a little bit. When I brought you across the Red Sea, not just the Jordan River. Let's talk about the other side of those waters. I take us to Genesis 16, 1 and 2. It's a story of Sarah and Abraham, an elderly couple, 90 years old, 100 years old. And they cannot have children. They've never had kids before. And Sarah is getting frustrated because she hears this promise of God that they're going to have kids. But they cannot. And so she sees that she's not bearing children. And so Sarah comes up with this idea. I have a handmaid. She's an Egyptian. Her name is Hagar. So Sarah says to Abram, I want you to realize that I can't have kids. The Lord's restrained me from bearing. So here, here's my maid. And you could have relations with her and have children through her. And that will be the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now of all the harebrained ideas that you could come up with, you know, you think about your marriage. And you're like, you know, I can't have kids, so I think I'm, I want my husband to have a relationship with my friend here so we can have kids. I mean, this is the idea going on through their head. This has to be one of the dumbest marital suicidal missions that you can have. But this is what happens. This is what occurs. And the Bible says something interesting took place in verse 3. After Sarah, Abram's wife, takes Hagar and gives him to Abram, that the Bible says that Abram had children with this lady. Now, why would she do this? Why would she give Hagar to Abram? I believe the answer is in the following verse, verse 4. He goes to Hagar. Here's Abram going to Hagar, and she gets pregnant. And she sees, meaning Sarah sees that Hagar is able to have children. And now her mistress is despised in her eyes. I strongly believe that Sarah had hoped the problem was not with herself, but with Abraham. What? Ask yourself this. What do you do when you realize the problem is not in them, but it's in you? She, she hoped that if she gave her handmaid to Abraham, her husband, and had relations, and they were unable, and he was unable to get her pregnant, then she concluded, ah, see, it's not my fault that I'm not pregnant. It's your fault that you can't get me pregnant. You're the one that is incapable. You're the one. You're just as responsible as I am. But what ends up happening is Abraham does get her pregnant, and that girl's pregnancy shows that the problem's not with Abraham, The problems with herself and the emotion. Imagine the impact of emotion that floods through her mind, realizing he's not the problem. I am. So overwhelming is this reality that verse 5 says she begins to yell at her husband and says, My wrong be on you. It's not my fault, it's your fault. I gave my maid to you and and, and now she's conceived and now I'm despised in her eyes. And then she brings God into the equation. The Lord judge between you and I. And Abraham said to Sarah, your maid is in your hand. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarah begins to deal harshly with Hagar. And Hagar flees from her face. See, it was such a... An emotional impact on her mind and in her heart. And she could not take it. So she began to get aggressive and rude and mean and harsh with Hagar and mistreat her till Hagar could not take it anymore and ran off. And here's the reality is that Sarah may have got rid of the person, but she was still left with her own problem. See, momentary relief does not resolve your past grief. Hagar was removed, but Sarah's barrenness remained. We try to remove what reminds us of what's wrong with us. And this is why we have to learn a lesson from stories such as this and Joseph's brothers. Because if we don't deal with the past, and I'm, I'm not re-preaching heal the land. This is a different vein that I'm going through here today. But if we don't address the past, it will resurface in the future. If we try to remove the thing that reminds us of the problem, it will resurface you know we want jesus to speak to us until he begins to deal with us then then we want we want a, him to shift the focus a little bit we tend to be a little bit like peter you know uh, after jesus rose from the dead and he's on the shore peter's the first one to jump out of that boat and swim as fast as he can to jesus the other guys are, you know, they're still making the a Peter could not. I got to see Jesus. I want to. See. How many want to see Jesus? How many want to hear from Jesus? Peter bull rushes. He goes as fast as he can and he gets to the presence of Jesus and he's talking with Jesus. He's eating with Jesus. But then Jesus starts talking to Peter and Jesus begins to ask us questions. We love to answer. Do you love me? Well, yeah. Yeah. I love you, Jesus. I absolutely positively love you, Jesus. But then, all of a sudden, he gives the discipline or the correction. And he says, do you love me, Peter? Peter's like, I love you, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And then all of a sudden, Jesus asks the same question. Do you love me, Peter? He goes, I love you, Jesus. Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I I told you, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. See, Jesus won't let up or move on. He tells us, or uh, Jesus begins to tell Peter now of the future discomfort that's going to come, that Peter is going to be killed. Peter is going to be martyred. And all of a sudden, Peter's feeling uncomfortable with the conversation. When just a moment ago, he rushed as fast as he could to Jesus, and he's eating with Jesus, dying with Jesus, telling Jesus he loves him. But then Jesus, because Jesus loves him, deals with some things of the past. Peter's the one that denied him three times. Now he says, do you love me? I want to give you a chance. Let's, let's, let's deal with this. Do you love me? Do you love me? If you love me, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to be a fisher of fish. Or a fish. I want you to be a fisher of men. I don't want you to go back to your hobby. I don't want you to go back to your occupation. I don't want you to go back to the familiar. I don't want you to go back to the comfort. I want you to move forward here. Let's work with this situation. Let's talk about it. And all of a sudden, Peter, he can't handle it anymore. And so in verse 21 of John 21, Peter asks Jesus about John. He points to John. He says, what about him, Lord? What about him, Lord? Just like Sarah with Hagar. And Abraham being like whoa well, whoa well, well, what about what about him? What about her? Trying to shift the focus on someone else. But see, listen to me, we don't have to fear what God reveals because what he reveals, he intends to heal. That's the reason why God reveals anything. From your past. It's why God reveals anything that you're going through is because God's motive and intention is not to embarrass you, but for Him to work a miracle in you. He wants to invest in you. He wants, that's the only reason why He investigates and resurfaces the past is because He is trying to reveal what He wants to heal. How many want Jesus to heal something in your life personally from the past? I don't know about you, but there's some things in my past I want Jesus to heal. Lord, I pray today, right now, would you lift your voice and hands with me? God, I pray that you begin to reveal... And I pray you begin to heal in this place today, Jesus. Lord, we cannot just walk away from the other side of the flood and carry on hoping, God, that we never have to address the past. Lord, you sometimes reveal the past because you want to heal the past. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? What God wants us to do, and I'm I'm just about done. I maybe got 15 minutes, 20 at the most. I'll, I'll try to hurry up here. In Psalm 4, 4 what I feel God wants us to do is to stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. Be still. Selah. Don't move on from this, but actually camp out here and address it. Think about it. When it's talking about commune with your own heart, engage it. Engage your emotion. Engage your thought. Engage the hurt. Engage the pain. Sometimes we can't get to bed fast enough because we don't want to deal with the day. We don't want to deal with the past or with the thoughts. And so we're just like, you know, I'm just going to I just want to sleep this off. And, and, and sometimes a good night's sleep helps. It does a lot of good for us. does a lot of positive for us. And I'm thankful for a good night's sleep. But to sleep to avoid dealing with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with is not the solution. Because as we have discovered is that the past will resurface much like the days of Joseph. That turning point. It was so important that when they finally acknowledge that the bad that was happening to them in that moment was because of what they did in the past. It turned something in them. Because if you go on to read the story, I'm not going to go through every detail, but I'm just going to quickly abbreviate it. What ends up happening, Joseph's brothers, they actually start taking on some responsibility. They begin to, like when they go back home to their father, and then they eat through all the food, and the father says, go back to to Pharaoh and get some food. And they say, we can't go back because he said, we are not allowed to go back until we bring the youngest brother. And the, the, their father says, you're not bringing them back. Go back and go get some food. And they said, no, he won't let us. And all of a sudden the father says, no, because my son, my youngest son will die just like my other young son died. And I'll go into the grave grieving. And all of a sudden, one of the sons takes responsibility and says, look, no, father, let it be on me. I'll take responsibility. I'll bring the boy with me and I'll bring the boy back and if this your son doesn't come back all the guilt I put on me, I take full responsibility and finally the father sees something in his boys he's never seen before. His elder son's taking responsibility and they go out to Egypt and all of a sudden Joseph continues to test them and he begins to bless the youngest brother Benjamin because remember before Joseph was the youngest and the brothers were envious how he got favored but now Joseph's intentionally blessing the youngest son, Benjamin. All the other brothers are watching the young snot-nosed brat get all the blessing and favor. And so he's seen, how are my brothers going to react? But none of the brothers get mad or jealous of the youngest being blessed and favored. They actually celebrate. They rejoice. They're content with it. And so Joseph puts the test into more hyperdrive to see what will happen. And he sends them all back home. And all of a sudden, when they go back home, he what joseph does he he puts a piece of his uh um property in the youngest boy's bag and the the soldiers go chasing after the 11 brethren and when they overtake them they open all the bags and they find that golden cup in benjamin's bag and when they found it joseph says he's my slave you guys are free to go he comes back with me and you would think jealous brothers if they never changed they would have say ah see see You little snot nosed punk. You thought you were better than us. You were getting all this special treatment and you're a thief and they could have left and took off with their food and lived out in the desert and moved on with life and not worried about being less favored than the younger brothers. But the Bible says that they begin to cry out and take responsibility. And they spoke boldly to Joseph and said, he has to go home because if he doesn't go home, our father is going to die weeping and wailing. He says, please send him home. I take responsibility myself. I'll be your prisoner. I'll be your slave. I'll be beheaded. Do whatever you want to me. Just let him go. And the Bible says the scene that unfolded was so strong that Joseph could not take it anymore. And it broke through to him. He began to weep. He began to cry. And he revealed himself to his brothers. Because now it was safe. He realized this is a safe environment. My brothers have learned their lesson from the past because their past resurfaced and they revisited it instead of moving on from it and they changed their behavior. And because of that, God spared all. All of them. And that's how a group of 70 turned into 3 million after 400 years. That's how a group of 70 turned into 6 million after over 450 years. It's because somebody dealt with the past. And they learned from the past. And they were able to move forward. And so now, here we have the children of Israel. They're about to go on the promise. But Joshua says, no. You got to address your past. I know you're seeing all these victories right now. I know you're on the precipice of a promise. I know you're at the brink of a breakthrough right now. I know you're about to obtain everything. But if you don't deal with the other side of the flood, if you don't deal with your past, because he called them out on it, he says, yeah, you're doing all this for God, but you're still serving the gods of your fathers. You're still serving the gods on the other side of the flood. Even though you've come out on the other side, you still... Are reaching to the other side. And your heart. Is in the wrong place. And you've got to take care of this. And so in Psalm 4.4 we read. That we have to deal. We have to engage our heart. We have to engage our emotion. Here's how God works. Proverbs 20.27. I'm just about done. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. and He searches all the inward parts of the belly. What that means. If you look at verse 27. In the New Living Translation. That the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit exposing every hidden motive. God shines that investigative light of his through every corner, every nook and cranny of our soul and our spirit and our heart, because he doesn't want any, any stone left unturned. He wants to deal with everything in our lives. Would you lift your hands and your voice before I I come to a close? We pray that God speak to us in these next few moments. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you, God, for your presence that we feel in this place. And, Lord, that you are wanting us, Lord, to deal with the past. You're wanting us to revisit things of the past because, Lord, there is a promise for us to obtain. There's a promise that you have for us. And, Lord, I want to get that promise. But, Lord, I got to choose this day. I got to choose this day. I got to choose this day. Jacob and Esau is another fine example in your Bible. The Bible says Jacob was a deceiver. They named him Deceiver. If you don't like your name, imagine being named liar, deceiver, supplanter. And I know you may not like your name because your name's Meredith or something. I don't know. Hopefully there's no Meredith here today. I just that's the first name that came to my mind. Meredith's a great name. It's a fantastic name. It's the best name ever. But if you don't like your name, imagine being named liar. Imagine being named Deceiver. And that's what J- Jacob grew up to be, a deceiver. And as much as we we honor an attribute of Jacob that goes after the birthright, and he goes after the blessing, if you're familiar with the story, what ends up happening, Jacob is the younger of the twin, and Esau is the older. So Esau gets the birthright. He gets He gets all the property of his father. And the younger kid's like, you know, you get like a cupcake. You know, good job, you, you survived your father's discipline. Now you serve your older brother. You know, who wants to do that? And so all of a sudden, Jacob's not happy. He wants the birthright. And so he tricks his older brother when he's coming home. He makes basically a, 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 a stellar bowl of chili, and, and Esau's out in the field. He doesn't capture anything, and he comes back, and he wants some chili. And he says, I'll give you some chili if you, you give me your birthright. And it's, it's insane, but he gives him his birthright for a bowl of chili. Momentary relief. Momentary relief. And all of a sudden, now later down the road, his uh, uh, Isaac's about to die. He's getting old. That's their father. And he wants to give a blessing to Esau. The, the patriarchs would always give a blessing before they would decease. And basically, uh, Jacob catches wind of it by his mother. And she goes, come on, let's let's get the blessing too. You got the birthright. Let's get the blessing too. And all of a sudden, Jacob steals the blessing. He pretends to be Esau because his father was blind. And so he he dresses like Esau. And he smells like Esau by putting Esau's clothes on. And he deceives his father to get the blessing. And all of a sudden, Esau's in a rage. And he wants to kill Jacob. And Jacob flees the land to go get married. That's it, it, the guys he does it under. And he, he leaves. And then he goes. And it's, it's, it's amazing. This deceiver is now like. Uh, living on the property of another deceiver. And it's like a war between two deceivers to see who's like the bigger crook. And they keep lying to each other and tricking each other. It's a, it's a pretty incredible story. But like this is, this is Jacob living his life. Everything he gains, everything he advances is based on deception, based on a lie. Yes, there is an inner desire for the greater. There's an inner desire for the more. But there is the wrong approach to it. It is deception. It is manipulation. And so all of a sudden, the Bible says God tells him to go back to his past. To go back to Esau. And all of a sudden, Esau and Jacob are on the pathway to meet each other. God wants us to deal with our past. God wants us to confront our past. God wants us to come to terms with it and work on it. And we we, we, we find this scene here as he's addressing the past and he's hoping that you know we, we, we think so often that we If we could just maybe move somewhere, if we can go somewhere, if I get a a different job, if I have if I get a different spouse, if I pursue a different career, if I move to a different city, maybe if I do all this is going to change. But see, here's what happens no matter where you move and no, no matter why you think you are moving. It doesn't solve the issue because the issue is carried with you. What moves with you is you. Into the next relationship, into the next job. Into the next phase, into the next chapter, into the next whatever it is. I, I, I know pastors that literally they move from church to church. They'll go preach somewhere and they'll pastor a church for, you know, you know, one year, five years. And then they'll just pick up, move on and pick up and pastor there for one year, two years. Five. That's one thing if that's what God's saying to do. But a lot of times it's a mentality thinking like, well, maybe maybe if I go here, it'll be better. Maybe if I go here, it'll be better. Maybe if I go here, things will work out. But no matter where you go, it's you that goes with the luggage. It's you that carries the luggage. It's you that arrives on site. And that's what happens with Jacob. The change of scenery didn't change his approach to life. He continued to deceive. He continued to do things incorrectly. So God says, all right, let me take you back to your past. And he confronts his brother. He goes back to confront his past and he's scared out of his mind because he knows his brother's a warrior. He knows his brother can whoop him. He knows that. But the Bible says he has an encounter with God and he wrestles an angel that night and as he's wrestling that angel, he actually just continues to fight with him. And the angel says there was the breaking of dawn and the angel was about to depart and all of a sudden Jacob got a hold of him and he would not let that angel go. And the angel. Says, to let me go. I've got to go back to the heavenlies. I've got to go back to that atmosphere. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the angel says, what's your name? He says, my name's liar. My name's deceiver. My name is Jacob. I've been living this way my whole life. Everything that I've obtained, everything that I got that's under my uh, supervision has come through deception, has come through this behavior of mine. has come through this attitude of mine and I can't take it anymore. I can't live this life anymore. Especially going back to where I came from. And the Bible says, the angel says, no more is that going to be your name and no more is that going to be your nature for today I am making you a prince with God your name will be called Israel and the Bible says that that day his name was changed his destiny was changed his walk was changed everything about Jacob was changed and the next time he saw his brother Esau their face to face the Bible says he saw him As it was the face of God. When he looked at his brother. He didn't look at him as competition. He looked at him as. This is the image of God. And the relationship. Was addressed. Fixed. And restored. It's the power. Of reaching back to the other side. Of the flood. If you ever feel like. You have recurring problem. You could find yourself like Sarah, wanting to prove a point that it's not you; it's him. And so we try our our method, our approach, our way, only to discover it's not him; it's me. And that is a difficult moment to have. It's like the moment where um, I, w- I led worship in this church for like eight years, I don't know, nine years, and I would get frustrated sometimes with the music team, thinking it's them. But then, like, when I stopped leading worship and other people did, I was like, wait a second. It's not them, it's me. I was the one holding the music people back. Now, all of a sudden, instead of singing the same five songs every Sunday, there's all these other songs they sing, and all these more technical songs they sing. And I know that's kind of a silly example, but a more realistic example, Very, and I, you know that I'm a very transparent person. I, I pretty much hang my laundry in front of the church. Is I remember when I got back in the church, you know, I was 18 years old. I prayed I prayed through. I was a prodigal son. And I, you know, I got baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost when I was nine years old. Then I, I, I left God, did things my own way. My parents still forced me to church and all that stuff. But I had all my issues, all my problems, but I was filled with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in Jesus' name. And You remember last week when we talked about the baptism, that going through the Red Sea, going through the, the Jordan River is like baptism, the waters of baptism? I was that, but it is possible to repent and be baptized. But still reach back and find stuff on the other side of the flood. God forgives it. But the issue is still there. If it's never addressed, doesn't mean you're not sorry for or don't repent of it, but if you don't deal with it. Things from the other side of the flood come. We're talking about a whole generation later, Joshua. And he's about to decease. And he says, look, I know you guys are the new generation. But I'm looking at you and I see you reaching back to the other side of your baptism. I see you reaching to the other side of the flood. And if you don't deal with that, it's going to go with you into your promise. And it's going to be your downfall. It's going to be. Your mistake. It's going to be your failure, and so as I was saying, I I I prayed back through, and I was enjoying you know restoration, reconciliation. But there were things I never dealt with when I got back in the church. Like I never dealt with my anger. I never dealt with my lust, and I was thinking like you know you know because the Bible teaches uh, what the, the what we do as 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 a person is that. We don't have sexual relations until we're married with somebody. That's what the Bible teaches, and so, so like all of a sudden now, like I, I'm I'm back in the church. I'm like, okay, I know I'm supposed to keep myself, so I'm you know I'm I'm not having sexual relations, and uh, I failed you know when I was a prodigal or before that, whatever. But I'm thinking in my mind, you know what? If I just get married, like that's going to take care of the problem, right? And I got married, but it it never I never dealt with the lust. Prior to the marriage. And so the issue. Carried into the marriage. Are you listening? You hearing me? The other side of the flood was still there. I, I was buried in the name of Jesus. My sins were forgiven. God, God forgave him as far as the east is from the west. But I like to just move on as if. I could continue as I had been. And all of a sudden, when that sweeps into the marriage and all of a sudden the lust resurfaces and all of a sudden pornography resurfaces, I'm telling you what, if you don't deal with the past, it will show up in the future and it will mess up the promise that God has given you. My anger issues that I had when I was younger, I would I would get so fits of rage. I would do one of two things. I'd absolutely vandalize things or. I would close myself off to everything. I'd build walls and I would just shut down and not talk to anyone. And the anger issues, thank God I didn't vandalize my wife, but in my in my marriage I would just shut the build the walls and shut off and just be cold and callous. And so the beginning stages of our marriage was very difficult. And if you know the beginning stages of our marriage, we came here to start the church. The point is this, you can relocate and you can get positioned. You can get placement all you want. But if you don't deal with the past, it will show up in the future. Am I making sense now? And this is, I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I know that I'm in the Holy Ghost. And before coming in service, there was something pushing against me. Saying, "Ah, I don't know if you should talk about that. I'm telling you right now, God wants to help every single person in this room. Because all of us have something from the past. I believe God has forgiven us if you've been baptized and you've and you've repented. But if you'd never address it and you never engage your heart, as we have read about here in the Bible, we'll read one more verse. And I'll be done. Let's stand together to give you hope. Psalm 45, verse one. It says, my heart is indicting a good matter. I speak the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. It's very poetic, poetical language. It's very beautiful. But that phrase is important for us to capture about the heart indicting a good matter. It's it's it goes more beyond just intellectualizing something or conceptualizing it. It has to do with you emotionally engaging the thought where it begins to boil over and it works you over. And then all of a sudden you get to that point where you have the pen of a ready writer. You're ready to address it. You're ready to speak to it. You're ready to deal with it. And so what is important for us to recognize as a church that as we all are in a weird season, I mean, various seasons here. You know, some moving, some school, some career, some, you know, all this. We, we're all in a unique season as a world. COVID-19, whatever. But here's the point is if we don't address the past, it shows up in the future. And it's going to be a rough future when god says this future is full of promise for you it's full of victory for you it's full of land for you it's full of everything that you hope for and desire and so we can be like like sarah and we can get so mad because all of a sudden the problem resurfaces but we don't want to deal with the problem we start to deal harshly with other people we start dealing harshly and start you know, flipping into a rage. And all of a sudden, you know, she's mistreating Hagar and kicks Hagar out because now all of a sudden, you know, she, re- she doesn't want to admit it. But the problem is her. And so we don't like to do that either. But when the moment the revelation comes and we own it and we say, God, I'm, it's not them, it's me. And when you deal with that, all of a sudden, then the promise can come. Because we you know what happens to Sarah? She ends up having a kid. She ends up having a promise. So the, the, the good news is it's not over. The promise is right there for anyone and everyone. And she was 90 years old when she finally dealt with her revelation, with her problem. 90 years old. There ain't a 90-year-old in this room. And if you are, you're looking good, all right? Or you're, you're taking good care of yourself. But there's not a 90 year old person in this room, and if a 90 year old can come to that revelation, and deal with it, and then also get the promise, what can God do with anyone in this room right now? Look, it's it's not about a, a new career, it's not about a new spouse, it's not well if I was in a different church or if I had a different pastor, if I had a di- no 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 no. Me. What is it in me? And if you don't know what it is, other than you just feel that dissatisfaction. This is where we just read the scripture in Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is candle of the Lord and he searches the heart. This is where you go to God and say, God, search me and show me. Show me what it is in me that's on the other side of the flood because I don't want to bring God's from the other side of the flood. I don't want to bring failures from the other side of the flood because I'm about to walk into a promise and that failure will mess up my promise. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you begin to pray right now that God, that he would begin to search your heart, that he begin to show, that he begin to reveal. God, begin to show in me, begin to reveal in me right now. Lord, it's a hard moment to have. Lord, when we keep hoping that it's it's this that's the problem it's that that's the problem maybe if i maybe if i go here maybe if i go there maybe if i get this different or this adjust in my life then you know everything's going to be all right cuz i'm really not the issue but god inside of each of us we are human beings we have stones that are not turned god stones that need to be lord uprooted we have things that need to be searched in our lives i plead your blood god lord because i believe that there is a promise to be had. You have a promise for everyone here that is under the sound of my voice, God. Lord, what you have begun, you will perform. You will complete until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus, I don't want my past to get in the way of my promise. I know I've been baptized and I've come out on the other side of the flood. But Lord, I don't want things from the other side of the flood to come back Back into my life right now. Lord I got to address it. I got to crucify it. I've got to deal with it Lord. Because if I don't deal with it Lord. It's going to hurt my promise. Lord it's going to ruin Lord. The very thing that you want me to walk into. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on let the Lord work on your heart for a moment. Come on let the spirit of the most high. Work on your heart right now. Jesus search me. Jesus show me Jesus reveal in me Lord I don't want to run like Jacob I don't want to run from my Esau God I don't want to be like Joseph's brothers that don't address it for 17 years but God the moment they addressed it Lord there was a revelation there was a revealing of their brethren there was a reconciliation there was a restoration there was redemption I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ serve Search me, show me, reveal to me, God, that deep work, Lord, that I've suppressed for so long, that I've buried for so long, that I haven't, Lord, addressed ever. I pray in the name of Jesus. Ah, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, let the Holy Ghost talk to you for a moment. Come on, God's wanting to do a critical work in your life today. Jesus loves you. Remember, what he reveals is what he wants to heal. God's not trying to reveal your past to shame you, to haunt you. God is revealing something to heal. Jesus loves you. Come on. Would you just start talking to him for a little bit right now? Ask him to show you some things. Jesus, open my heart. Lord, with that scalpel from heaven. Lord, I pray that you would do an open heart surgery on me. I pray, God, that you would get beneath the callus. Lord, get get beneath the surface. Lord, the shades, Lord, of hurt. The scar tissue that is there, God. I pray you go beneath the surface. And I pray you find what it is, God, that it's keeping me in a barren state. God, I don't want to live a barren life. God, I don't want to be unfruitful. I want to produce. I want to produce what you've promised.